Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 5, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're seeing really the life of Jesus Christ as seen through Matthew's eyes. Matthew, of course, was a tax collector. He's one of Jesus Christ's disciples. He's also uh, one of the apostles, and he presents Jesus Christ as he writes this. He presents Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews, the Messiah, and the Savior. We've seen a lot of this study. We saw the birth of the the King. We've seen the, the baptism where he identified with mankind. We've seen the temptation where he went out in the wilderness and the devil came, and and now we're turning basically to his ministry. And we saw briefly back in chapter 4, verse 23, that his ministry was teaching and preaching the gospel and healing. Well, as we continue, we've moved into a section which is basically chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's a famous discourse. It's one of the three big discourses in the book. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Matthew 13, and Matthew chapters 24 and 25. There are three big discourses, basically, that Jesus teaches. This is famous because it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes up on the side of a hill, kind of a long sloping hill, and all these people gather. He's teaching his 12 men that he's just chosen, but then there's a big crowd listening. And the message he gives is principles for righteous living. And since Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, we're seeing what we call the platform of the king. And it's famous because sometimes it's confused. People say, well, is this for today? Or is this for just the kingdom time? How does this all fit together? We see the truth is this, that Jesus is giving principles for righteous living no matter when or where we live. And the last time we saw the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount, it's called the Beatitudes. And uh, it's characteristics of those who are in the kingdom. And it says, blessed this, blessed are the poor, blessed are the this. And so it gives those. There are eight of them. We saw the first seven last time. We'll see the last one this morning. And, and that it, it's a kind of a hard one because it deals with persecution, but it also deals with rewards. When we think of the subject of persecution, nobody wants to think about being persecuted. But when we do think about this, when we stand for Jesus Christ in a fallen world, we'll be persecuted. And there's some people who say, well, I'm not persecuted. That's because you're not standing. You're not standing for Christ. Sometimes people don't even know if we're, we're Christians or not. We don't know if we're different. But we'll talk more about that as we go through this. As we focus on this passage, there are two things that stand out, persecution and rewards. And they go together, and we'll see them as we look through this passage. I think there's some great truths that we can apply in our lives even now. Well, in 1984, I got to go to the Olympics. You people have talked about that. It was in Los Angeles, and uh, there was a man in, in the church that I was in at the time uh, that was fairly wealthy, and I, I had taught a, a lesson about running the race, and I talked about how I'd coach track and people run the race. And he came up to me and said, would you like to go to the Olympics? And I said, would I? Yeah, of course I'd like to go to the Olympics. And so I got to go, and the Olympics had always been something amazing to me. I can remember the first Olympics that I really kept up with was in 1960. I was not, I was not very old. I was about 10 or 11 years old, but it was in Rome, and, and I can still remember it on television and the track and field. And so I loved the Olympic Games. We got there, and we got to go to a lot of things. I saw some boxing. I saw diving, but we spent most of our time was the track and field. They call it athletics, but it's really the track and field. And I love that. And I, I, I loved it because having coached, uh, I actually coached some people that were in the 72 Olympics, the 76 Olympics, and the 80 Olympics. Uh, the person I coached in the 80 Olympics didn't get to go because we boycotted. If you remember, that was they were going to be in Moscow. And I had this guy that made it as a decathlon man, and uh, he didn't get to go. It was really a, a disappointment. Here was the most impressive thing. We're in the stadium, and they're running races and all of a sudden, you hear these big trumpets blow. I mean, it's loud. It's not like a little trumpet. It's so loud, you go, what in the world? And they stop everything, all the events that are going on. 
and they come marching in because at the very end of, of, one, of the part of the track area, there's this big platform and it's where they stand, the first three people, and they give out the medals and they blow these large trumpets and these people walk out, of course, and the three people who are getting the awards, the rewards, get up there and they reward them for first, second, and third. It's so impressive. I, I never knew anything like that. I mean, the first time they gave out the awards, it was just shocking because it was so spectacular. Well, I want you to realize that one of these days, you will stand before your Savior, Jesus Christ, and he will give you rewards. If you live faithfully, if you live righteously and godly, if you seek to live for him, if you seek to serve him, he's going to reward you. The Bible reminds us about rewards. Some people say, oh, uh, oh, I don't serve God for rewards. I just serve him out of love. Okay, that's fine. But he says, run the race so that you get the prize. In fact, there are a lot of places in the Bible that talk about getting rewards. 1 Corinthians 9 says, run so that you may win the prize. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, your works will be tested by fire and then you'll be rewarded. In Romans 14, he basically says, we'll give an account of ourselves to God. This is for rewards. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we'll go stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded. So one of the great truths from the Bible is that you, each one of us one day will stand before our Savior Jesus Christ and what we want to hear him say, big old trumpets blowing and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. And of course the key is faithfulness. Well this morning, as we look at the last of the eight Beatitudes, the, the issue is rewards. And two things go together, as I mentioned it already, persecution and rewards. When we trust God in the trials and the persecutions of life, we'll be rewarded. And so this eighth Beatitude is blessed are those who are persecuted. They have the kingdom of God. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. They'll be rewarded in heaven. He actually says, be glad. And we go, be glad? He says, yeah, be glad, and we'll talk more about it as we get through it. Let's remember where we are. Jesus has begun his ministry. When I think about his life, I hope that you're reading the Gospel of Matthew. Just, just read it. I mean, it, it, even if you read just a couple of chapters a day, I mean, it's 28, so you can get through it pretty, pretty quickly. Put the whole book together. I mean, you see Jesus Christ and his birth and then his baptism and his temptation and then he begins the ministry and most of the ministry is in the northern part of Israel and he goes around the Sea of Galilee, his headquarters. He moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. You remember why? Because they wanted to kill him in Nazareth and so he moves to Capernaum and he starts this ministry and he goes back and forth across the Sea of Galilee and all around there. People are following him. They're coming from all over. They're coming from a place called Decapolis, which is 10 cities, mostly Gentiles. Jews are coming, religious leaders are coming, everybody comes. Sometimes he leaves the north, goes south, and goes to Jerusalem, mostly for the feast days, because that's under the Mosaic law. Jesus stayed under the law. He had to go three times a year to Jerusalem for the feast days. So Jesus would go back and forth, but most of his ministry is in the north. And if you remember, we said that he had done this, and as he started his ministry, he was teaching, he was proclaiming the gospel, and he was healing. He was teaching the truths in the synagogues. Remember we said that the synagogues were places of instruction. They were not the place of worship. The temple was the place of worship. The synagogues is where they would go and be instructed. So he taught them. He proclaimed the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom is that he's the Messiah.
Messiah and the King, and whoever believes in him has life and is in the kingdom. And then he actually healed people. And that, I mean, that's one, one of the reasons they were coming from all over is because he healed them. And, and there were people who, who couldn't walk, who couldn't see, who couldn't talk, and he just touches them and he heals them. So it is a great ministry. We talked about that we have a teaching ministry, all of us. We get to teach the word to people. We have a proclaiming the gospel ministry. That means we get to tell people about the good news message of Christ. Now, we don't have a healing ministry, but we have a ministry in which we help people. We are to be used by God to touch lives for Jesus Christ. So we saw all that. Well, as Jesus now, as we get to chapter 5, and it's going to be chapters 5, 6, and 7, all go together. He goes up. It says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down with his disciples, and his disciples came to him. The Gospel of Matthew doesn't tell us, but he spent the night on top of that mountain, and he prayed, and when he got through praying that morning, he picked out 12 men. That's his disciples. And it says, he saw the crowd, he went on the mountain, he sat down, his disciples came to him, he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying... So here he is, and he's given what is known as the Beatitudes. Now here's the... You can't read it, it's too little. I just wanted you to see the big picture. This is the first part. We're at the subjects of the kingdom. He's talking about the character and influence. Then he's going to give the platform. He's going to talk about he fulfills the law. And then he's going to show the improper view of the law, how the Pharisees looked at everything. And we're going to look at murder and adultery and divorce and oaths and reconciliation and all those kind of love. And then how they practice the law, giving. For... By the way, Pharisees did everything to be seen by people. When we get to that passage, when we get over there in chapter 6... He's going to say, don't practice your righteousness to be seen by people. I mean, when we take up the offering, don't stand up and go, I'm putting my money in. Because that's what the Pharisees did. They blew trumpets to tell people, we're putting money into the big jar, because that's what they had. We'll talk more about that. But Jesus corrects it all. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And, and he gets at the very end, he really talks about prayer and righteousness and access into the kingdom. And so we're going to see that in the weeks to come. And there, there is a marked difference between the religious leaders and Jesus Christ. The religious leaders dealt with the laws and rituals and externals, and Jesus Christ dealt with the heart and attitudes and actions. And uh, we talked about it in our grow group this morning, that legalism is a bunch of rules and laws, and that's what they had. They had all the rules and laws. We're not legalistic. We're not under rules and laws. We're under the rule of Christ, or the law of Christ, which is the law of love, and that is we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And so we'll see that as we go through that. But Jesus taught, and he didn't teach about a legalistic law. He taught about what comes from the heart and the attitudes and the actions. And uh, Jesus said, the religious leader, someone would say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And he said, I, I never knew you. Because they only looked at the outside and not the inside. Well, let me break down this big section. 10 through 12 is where we are this morning. That's the last of the Beatitudes and the persecution. And then the next week, this is powerful, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. We see the influence of believers. And then we actually start getting into his teaching. Now, let me remind you of the Beatitudes. And all of them start with blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the... And he gives those. And he's, we, there's eight of them. He's given seven so far. Blessed are the poor in spirit uh, because... 
theirs is the kingdom. That, that when you recognize the fact that you're bankrupt and you can't save yourself, you trust in Jesus, you have the, the kingdom. And blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, uh, because they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who go after righteousness, because they're going to be satisfied. And then the blessed are those who show mercy, because they'll be shown mercy. The pure in heart, the peacemakers. And he really talks about it. And he says, those are in the kingdom who realize there's nothing in ourselves that we grieve over sin, that we come under God's authority, that we pursue righteousness, we show mercy, we appear on the inside, and we bring the message of peace. That's those Beatitudes. There's one left. And then this is what he's been talking about. And let me just tell you, what this is, is the character of believers. This is how we're supposed to live out who we are. This has nothing to do with salvation. This is as believers how we live it out. This eighth Beatitude deals with persecution and rewards. We all like the idea of rewards. We don't like the idea of persecution, but it is. Look at verse 10 where he says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice the word blessed, of course, means divine favor. It means happy. It says that's blessed. You're, you're happy God's blessing you, basically, is what he's saying. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake. If you notice, it's past tense have been persecuted. If you remember, if you go back to verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is, present tense, when you recognize that you are bankrupt in yourself and you trust in Christ, you're in the kingdom. The rest of them, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 are all future. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit. They're all future. We get to verse 10 and he says, blessed are those who have been persecuted. He's not just talking about the 12, and he's not talking about something that's going to happen, although it is. He's talking about a principle of the truth, and that is, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. From Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to, the, to David and to Daniel, all the way up to this time, blessed are those who have been persecuted because they lived righteously in a fallen world. It's past tense here. It's a truth that's coming, though. It's a truth. If you today live righteously and godly, you will be persecuted. But he says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Those who are living righteously in a fallen world, they have been persecuted. The word persecuted there means to go after. It's a real negative word. It means to go after, to harm. It means to go hurt. To persecute means to take us, to, to go after. And so when you stand, and let's think about today, when you decide that you will stand for Jesus Christ in this fallen world, whether it's on the campus, whether it's downtown, whether it's in your office, whether it's in your family, where it is, and you decide that you say, I'm going to live righteously for my Savior. I'm, I'm serving Him. You know, salvation is a gift, but you're saying, I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to serve Him. You're going to be persecuted. And as, as I mentioned earlier, it could be as simple as somebody make fun of you. It could be as harsh as somebody try to kill you. And in parts of the world, when people come in, there are times that they are uh, persecuted. You, many of you know that we support a group in India, uh, a group of pastors. There's a pastor there. His name is Pastor Jacob, and there are tw uh, oh, 27 now. There used to be 29. There's 27 tribal pastors that go out all over southern India. In southern India, it's okay to share your faith. You can. Mostly it's Hindu. 
Some Muslim, but mostly Hindu, and they go into that part of the world and they lead people to Christ all the time. They send me pictures of them baptizing people who've trusted in Christ. But if you go to northern India, they will kill you if you start to proclaim Christ. So there are certain parts of the world that if you start proclaiming Jesus Christ, they may kill you. They may kill you. And so he says, blessed are those who have been persecuted back just all the past for their sake of righteousness because they live righteously. Theirs is the kingdom. And, and so we can say this, when, when we live in a fallen world and we seek to stand for Christ, what do we expect is going to happen? We think the unbelieving world is going to just love us and jump up and down and say, oh, you guys are so wonderful. How many of us in this room have been persecuted for standing for what is right? Now, he says uh, they're part of the kingdom. Those who belong to Jesus Christ in the kingdom, they will be persecuted. Different ways, different times, different places. The characteristics of those in the kingdom are to be people who live righteously and godly. Now, what he does, and you can't tell it just by looking at it in English, but you can tell it in Greek, he now speaks directly to the twelve. We can make application, but look at the next verse. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He's talking to the 12 there. The way it's written in the Greek, it's emphatic. I think I've got even a thing that says, that he says, blessed are you, and he's looking at his 12. That's who he's talking to. Now, the great truth is, it's blessed, blessed are us you, when, when we're persecuted. Notice, look, blessed are you when, when people insult you and they persecute you and they falsely say all kind of evil things against you because of me. Now, that's going to happen. As he sends them out, they're attacked. They're attacked in a lot of places. Jesus is attacked in a lot of places. And, and that's what happens. And the truth is, all of us who've come after, even today, when you decide that you're going to stand for Jesus Christ, you're going to be persecuted. Blessed are when people insult you. And they say things like, you're a fundamentalist, you're a narrow-minded bigot, you're, you're one of those uh, mean-spirited Christians who hates everybody. That's what they think about us, by the way. You know that. A lot of people think about that they hate us. They think we don't love people. They see us, and I said this in my grow group, they said one of, one of the things we got to do is we got to make sure that this world understands what we're for, not what we're against. See, they see us as against things. They don't see us loving people and for the message of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the greatest love of all that God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus Christ and whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. That's our message and that's what we stand for but the world doesn't necessarily see that. We need to proclaim clearly the message of hope and salvation, the gospel. And the truth is, even when you stand for the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel message, you will be persecuted. Look what he says. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. If you notice, it's first words and actions. They insult you and they persecute you. Sometimes they just say things, but sometimes they go after you and they say all kind of evil against you because of me. Listen, when you stand for Christ, they, they actually hate him. And so they hate you because they hate him. You understand that? 
A fallen world hates Jesus Christ. We're doing a study on Wednesday nights in our SBI, and it's on angels and demons. And we spend a lot of time looking at the devil and the demons. And the devil and the demons hate Jesus Christ, and they hate you. Good angels serve God and us. Bad angels hate God and hate us. And we live in a fallen world system. Look at this. 1 Peter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. He says, that's great. If people cut you down because of Christ, because of the spirit of glory and of Christ, rest on you. He says, now make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. Listen, when you stand for Jesus Christ in a fallen world, they're coming after you, and what you want to say is, thank you, Lord, for the blessings. You remember in the first, in the first part, in the book of Acts, when the church began, and they arrested them and brought them in and beat them all to pieces and everything, and said, you can't talk about Jesus anymore, and they said, we're going to obey God rather than men, and they left, and they all went back, and they all got together in a big group and said, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to suffer for your name. Is that what we want to say now? Hey, thank you, Lord. Let's bring some suffering on us. That's what it says. Blessed are you when people insult you and they persecute you and they falsely say all kind of evil things against you because of me. I wonder why. I want you to see something. Hold your Bible up at Matthew 5, and I want you to turn to John 15. Okay, just flip over Matthew 5 to John 15. You go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's four books, so basically the fourth book of the New Testament. And look at John chapter 15, and I want you to see three reasons, three reasons why we'll be persecuted when we're connected with Jesus Christ. Three reasons. Because when we stand for Christ and it's a fallen world, we should expect Expect it. And so it's John 15, verses 18 through 21. I hope you're there. If you're not there, just listen to this. This is John. Here's the first reason that we should expect persecution. For the world hates him and hates us. Look at John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, and it does, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus is talking to the men. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Do you understand that you were of the world, and the moment you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're placed in Christ, you're taken, you're no longer of this world anymore. You're still in the world, but you're not of the world. You're in Christ, and the world hates you. Listen to what it says. If the world hates you, you know what hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. So the first thing is that we're in a fallen world. We're no longer of this world. We've been taken out, and this world hates us because it hates Jesus Christ. There's a second thing, and that is because we're identified with Christ. Look at verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours. Listen, he said, if, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If you stand for Jesus Christ in this world, you can expect persecution because the slave is not greater than the master because we identify with Christ. And then the last one is they don't know God, verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Why? Because they do not know the one who sent me. The Father sent them. They have rejected the Son, and they have rejected the Father. And when they reject the Father and reject the Son, they're going to reject you. 
because we go and we talk about the true God and we talk about the Savior. And we live in a world that says something like this. If you and I said, well, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and there's one God and one way to heaven, that's through Jesus and his faith alone, they say to us, you're an idiot. First of all, you can't be the only, it's not just one way, there's many ways, if there's any ways at all, then who do you are to think that you got the right way? That's what they say to us. They'll automatically be against you. Jesus said, you're not of this world, you're identified with Christ, they don't know the true God, that's why you'll be persecuted. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. There's an old saying that says, if you don't want to be persecuted for Christ, that's fine, just don't stand. If you don't stand for Christ, you won't be persecuted. But there's a great truth here. We'll be persecuted, but we'll also be rewarded. Notice verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We sang some great songs today. We sang a song about rejoicing. We sang about rewards. And, and, and it is so true that... When we stand for Jesus Christ and are persecuted, we should rejoice because great is the reward in heaven. Think about this. By the way, there's a difference between happiness, which is based on circumstances, and joy, which is based on our relationship. Circumstances aren't, you know, sometimes we're not very happy, but we can always have the joy based on the fact that we know Jesus Christ is our Savior and we have joy there. He mentions two things in this verse. Verse 12, he mentions rewards and good company. Okay, notice, rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven is great for in the same way they persecute, for in the same way they persecute the prophets. So rejoice for your reward in heaven is great. There's rewards. There can be rewards. When you stand for Jesus Christ, you're going to be rewarded. Want to be the greatest day of your existence? When you stand before your Savior, who died for you, paid for your sins, rose again, conquered death, gives you eternal life, gives you the Bible, gives you the Holy Spirit, puts you in the body of Christ, gives you spiritual gifts, and says, go serve me. And when you serve him and live for him, he brings you up and says, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. I bet there'll be trumpets. I bet there will be. He says, rejoice for great is your reward in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment is bema, B-E-M-A. It means rewarding stand. We will all stand before the rewarding stand of Jesus Christ to be recompensed, given back for the things that we've done, whether good or worthless. That's what it says. When you live righteously and godly and do good, God says, I'm going to reward you. Every one of us in this room, you're going to stand there. One way or the other, you understand that. It's not like optional. Now, I, I, I don't want to go. You're going to stand there. And he's going to either say, well done, good and faithful servant, or you're going to be ashamed at his coming. First John chapter 2. What do we want to happen? What do we want to happen when we stand before our Savior? He says, listen, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, salvation is a gift simply by faith. You get eternal life. But rewards are based on our service, our works, and our faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 9 says, run the race so you get the prize. Wow. He says there's something else too. You're in good company when you're persecuted because they persecuted the prophets. 
The prophets were the ones who proclaimed the word of God. They proclaimed the truths. Uh, long before Jesus, they were proclaiming the truths and they were prosecuted. And so he says, you're in good company. He says, rejoice and be glad because you got great rewards. And this is what they did to the prophets. The prophets announced the word of God. We stand for Jesus proclaiming the word. We will be persecuted. I want to throw one thing out. Because we'll get to it in another place. Sometimes when people go against us and they hurt us and they persecute us, we want to get them back. I mean, it's only natural that if somebody hurts you on purpose, that you want to get them back. I mean, that's natural, isn't it? That somebody, you said you're not going to do that and get away with it. Let me just tell you something. They don't get away with it. Number one, vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to us. So we don't get revenge. We leave it to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. You can trust God that anybody that ever hurts you on purpose, persecutes you, does you wrong, you don't have to get them back. God will get them back one time, in one way or another. So vengeance belongs to the Lord. What does he say here? He says, we've been looking at the characteristics of those who are in the kingdom. The last one is persecution. And he says, listen, if you're persecuted, just, just that's, you're blessed uh, because you're going to get rewarded. And, and if the people go against you and they insult you and they persecute you, just remember that be glad and rejoice because you're going to have rewards for that because when you identify with Christ, that's what happens. So let me give you just three quick applications. The first one is this. Let's have an understanding of the Beatitudes. They're, they're believers. They're for believers and they're righteous living at all times. Remember, this is what we call the moral law. We talked about it several weeks ago, and I want to make sure you've got this. The moral law is the principles of living at any time. There was the moral law from Adam and Eve to Moses. Under the Mosaic law, there was a moral law aspect. After the Mosaic law, after Christ, we're now under what was back to moral law. It's called the law of Christ or the law of love. So let's understand that there are righteous principles that we as believers are to live. And, of course, you can look at the Beatitudes and tell some of that. The second application is let's, let us understand that believers who stand for Christ will be persecuted. Will be. It's a fallen world. It's a fallen world. And we, this words and actions and insults, and they're going to say, sometimes they're just going to say bad things about us. Sometimes they're going to lie about us. Sometimes they're going to actually hurt us. Why is all this true? It's because we identify with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, let me tell you what you can do. It doesn't matter where you are. If you say the following things, you will be persecuted. Ready? There's only one God, one true God. All the other gods that people talk about are not true. There's only one Savior, Jesus Christ, and there's only one way for salvation that is through Jesus Christ. That's because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. So one God, one Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one Bible that is true and accurate, and that is the Word of God. And, if, and salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone. If you say those things, you will be persecuted in this community. All you have to do is say, here's what I believe. One God, one Savior, one Bible, one way of salvation, and you'll be persecuted. Because you live in a community in a world 
that says there are many ways to God and many gods, and you can't just say there's one way, and who says Jesus is right, and, and if you say that, you're, 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 you're just a bad person, and you're legalistic, and you, are, you think you're better than everybody else. No, we're just given the truth that Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. But I guarantee you, if you stand for that, you'll be persecuted. Just try it. Please try it. That's what we need to do. The third thing, let's understand that believers who are persecuted will be rewarded. When we stand before Jesus Christ, we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we've seen the Beatitudes. We're going to see the next time that the influence of those people who are standing for Christ, and then he'll start getting into his teachings about what, how we live and what we do. There's some great things there.